0: Turn with me, if you will, to 1 Samuel chapter 8. We find ourselves in the book of Samuel now, uh, after Samuel has delivered the people from uh, the Philistines, uh, led them to a great victory, led them to respond to God appropriately uh, with a recognition of God's position, recognition of God's power, um, recognition of the need to Um, acknowledge our whole existence dependence upon Him. And you would think coming out of chapter 7 that we would be followed by some other example, some other expression of how God continued to to bless Israel because of their obedience. They've, they've, They've expressed their hearts in the right way. They've communicated things in the right way. In chapter 7, you would think seeing the results of that, they would continue, and yet they don't. And I think we see something of ourselves. I certainly see something of myself in their inconsistency. As I've reflected um, this week, On this passage, on this message, um, I've thought about my life. I've thought about my career as a professor, my calling and role as a pastor over the years, as a father and a husband. And it's real easy to look at some of the things that have been accomplished and to take credit for it, both the good and the bad. I look at my children, who I am so very proud of in terms of what they have accomplished and, more importantly, the men and women that they are, and then I reflect upon how I raised them, some of the mistakes that I know I made. Things I said that I shouldn't have. Directions I took that I shouldn't have taken them. And I grow more and more in an understanding that who they are is more a result of God's grace than my good works. That's the way life is. We are a outcome-based society outcome-based culture. We look at the results and we like to either take credit or place blame or whatever on results, regardless of whether there's actually a connection between how things were done and the outcome at all. And here in 1 Samuel 8 we come upon Israel asking for something. Asking for something that is right. What they are asking for is something that um, is in God's plans, as we'll see here in a little bit. It's not the request, and it's not the outcome so much that is the problem. What is the problem is the manner in which the request is made. And I want us to reflect this morning on asking God in prayer, asking God in our life for the things that are right, but making sure that we do it in the right way as well. That we understand that there is power, there is appropriateness, there is is health in asking the right way about things in dealing with things in the right manner not, whether we're asking for something or not, there is value in doing things with integrity. Doing things as God would have us do them. Now, I want to point out before we read the passage that this today is not about getting your prayer answered. This won't be a passage or a message on how do you get your prayers answered by God. Because Israel gets their prayer answered by God, they just didn't do it about the right, work, in the right manner. It's also not about a, a mechanistic view of prayer or step-by-step instructions in how to pray. Quite often, that can be unhealthy as well because it leads us to divorce ourself from the actual encounter with God? Am I following the right steps? That's not my intention either. My intention here is to learn how to ask for things from God in a healthy manner to the best possible end. So let's look at the passage this morning beginning in verse 1 of chapter 8. It says, when Samuel grew old... He appointed his sons as judges over Israel. His firstborn son's name was Joel, and his second was Abijah, and they were judges in Beersheba. However, his sons did not walk in his ways. They turned toward dishonest prophet (coughs) and perverted justice. So all the elders of Israel gathered together and went to Samuel at Ramah. They said to him, Look, you are old. And your sons do not walk in your ways. Therefore, appoint a king to judge us, the same as all the other nations have. And when they said, give us a king to judge us, Samuel considered their demand wrong. So he prayed to the Lord. But the Lord told him, listen to the people and everything they say to you. They have not rejected you. They have rejected me as their king. They are doing the same thing to you. They have done to me since the day I brought them out of Egypt until this day, abandoning me and worshiping other gods. Listen to them, but solemnly warn them, and tell them about the customary rights of the king who will reign over them. So then you have Samuel in verses 10 through 18 warn them about what the nature of uh, their life will be like under a king, the things he'll do, how he'll conscript their sons and their daughters, how he'll take taxes, how he'll wage war, how he'll uh, take from their harvest, and so forth. But It says in verse 19, the people refuse to listen to Samuel, saying, no, we must have a king over us. They will be like all the other nations, or then we'll be like all the other nations, and our king will judge us, go out before us, and fight our battles. Samuel listened to all the people's words and then repeated them to the Lord. Listen to them, the Lord told Samuel, appoint a king for them. Then Samuel told the men of Israel, Each of you go back to your city. So the people get their requests. God says, What? Listen to them, appoint a king for them. They got their requests. But is their request and how they requested it appropriate to the time, appropriate to the situation, appropriate to the circumstances? And as we look at our own life, as we look at our own prayer life, the things we're asking for, the things we're seeking, we have to ask that same question. Is it appropriate to the context of my my present life, of my present circumstance, and am I asking in the right way? So what are some ways that we might ask in the wrong way as revealed in this text? Well, I think the first way we can ask in the wrong way is beginning with a wrong view of our current status. I think a lot of our problems in society, in culture, in the church, in relationships, is a lack of, Of contentment. We've lost any sense of contentment even being a a valuable commodity. We're always reaching for something more, always reaching for something extra, always reaching for something beyond. And our culture has told us that's valuable, that's good, that's who we need to be. And yes, we do need to grow as people, we we do need to, to expand. Uh, in terms of responsibilities in terms of 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 who we are as an individual if we don't then we become complacent and we don't want contentment to ever turn into complacency but contentment is in many ways i believe the 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 proper mindset of the christian When Paul in Philippians talks about doing all things through Christ who strengthens me, he's talking about what? He's talking about finding contentment. I've learned in whatever situation to be content. Because contentment grows out of a relationship with God that recognizes His ability to take care of us. It's built around faith. It's built around appreciation. It's built around acknowledgement of His role. too often we lack it. And because of that lack of contentment, we fail to recognize how good our current status really is in something. Whether it's a relationship or, or you know, a job or something like that, we, we fail to see it. Israel here has a great leader. They have Samuel. He's considered one of the greatest leaders Israel ever enjoyed, ever acknowledged, ever appreciated. Um, In chapter 12, during his his final public speech, he says, this is your chance, as I'm wrapping up my ministry here, this is your chance, come and, and tell me anything at all that I've ever done wrong to any one of you. Have I defrauded you? Have I misled you? Have I, have I uh, wronged or mistreated you in some way? Have I accepted a bribe to overlook something? Bring any charge to me at all, and I'll make it right, he says. And the people say something extraordinary. You haven't wronged us, you haven't mistreated us, and you haven't taken anything from anyone ever. That's quite a leader. That's quite an individual of integrity. And here he is still very much alive, still several years left in him, so to speak. And they're saying what? Give us a different leader. Give us a king right now. Give us someone else to rule over us. They don't recognize what they have. They don't see who they have. They don't see the potential of what he might be able to lead them through and what he may be able to teach them and what he may be able to to reveal to them in their life and in their experience. They want to be what? Like all the other nations. And that's so often the heart of our discontent, isn't it? I want to be like my neighbor. You see that car my neighbor drove home in last night? Woo-wee. I want one of those. You see the the house rebuild that they did? Did you see the, the new land that they bought? Did you see the, you know, whatever it is? Their eyes are out there. Our eyes are out there. In terms of what everybody else has, and we covet it. We want it to the point that we ignore what God has already blessed us with. And we lose out on some opportunities. I mean, when I look at at Samuel and some of the, the sermons he preached, some of the things he did, his exchanges with, Saul and so forth. I see, I see a man with a great deal of wisdom that he could have imparted to Israel, and now he won't be able to, because they're going in a different direction. They're ignoring him. They're overlooking. And when it comes time to to ask for something, when it comes time to to go, to the Lord, and, and and you're asking Him for something, God, I I want this, or God direct me in this or whatever. We need to start with a proper inventory of where we actually are. God, where am I right now? How have you blessed me? Help me to see those blessings for what they are. Help me to see the things that are in my life that I'm overlooking, that I'm taking for granted that I'm diminishing in some way because, well, it's not what my neighbor has. God, help me to to, to understand my, my present circumstance correctly. Help me to see who you are in my life. I see in all the things you're doing, the things you're teaching me, the things you're showing me. Second example of asking the wrong way is demanding an answer based on the wrong timing. God has promised Israel a king. Genesis 17:6. Genesis 49.10, Numbers 24, 17 through 19. All passages that reflect that God is going to give Israel a king. It is in his plan. It is where he is leading them. Jacob makes a, excuse me. Yeah, Jacob. I had it right the first time. Makes the right or makes the promise to Judah that the scepter will not depart from his household. A king is coming. Likewise, Balaam talks about the star and the scepter. A king is coming. So it's part of God's economy. It's part of God's plan for. Israel to have a king. He's moving them in that direction. And if they're paying attention, they would see that. They would understand that. Let's be honest, they may even know that, but they're just not listening to the context of God's Word. And worse yet, they're not trusting him to do it in his timing. When we start asking for things, one of the things we need to be concerned about, at least uh, on some level, is not just am I asking for the right thing, but is this the right time for it? Is this the right time in my life for that? Whether it's a relationship. Or a job or some other matter in your life. I look back over my own life and, and I see those those occasions when I ask God for something and, and God said no or not yet or not right now. And then He blessed me with those things. One in particular was at my previous church, I, I really felt like it was time for me to move on from that church. And i prayed about it and and, and thought, you know what, God, it's time for me to move on, let's do it. And I'd sent out my resume to numerous churches. I I got so far with with one church out in Florida, it was it was almost it seemed to me like it was almost a done deal. for most of them it was too. and it broke my heart when they called and said one of our members on our search committees has said no and they had a unanim- unanimity clause for whatever in their who they would call and i remember thinking this 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 church fit my skills this church fit so many things and, and it really is time for me to, to move on god But in between that event and him actually moving on, moving beyond, move some several months later, we had several people come to Christ in, in that church. We had several ministries start that probably would not have begun had I moved on to that other church. And I still remember to this day standing there in my kitchen one morning, getting ready to go to work, and phone call comes from Marshall, Texas. Who do I even know in Marshall, Texas? First thought was, man, this is a scammer, right? But I answered it. He said, this is Dr. John Harris from East Texas Baptist University. We want you to come be on staff with us. I hadn't even sent my resume. I didn't even know there was a job here. And then I met with Dr. Sanders a few weeks after that, and he says, I'm currently an interim pastor at a church. Would you be interested in doing that while you're here, too? And I said, Heck yeah. It was God's timing, God had this store for me. You wonderful people, and the fellowship we've enjoyed over the last several years. I work at ETBU. I was asking for the right thing, but I wasn't taking into account his timing. I wasn't letting him be God. And when he acted, he acted in a way far bigger than I could have imagined. So as we pray and as we think about these things, we need to think about the timing. We also need to think about our motives. Why am I asking for this? Why was Israel, given the fact that Samuel was there, given the fact that God had promised them someday this was going to happen, why was Israel asking for this? Well your first reply maybe well it says right there in the opening verses that Samuel's sons were not men of integrity themselves. Now remember Samuel is well he's older he's not done. Okay. He's got several more years of ministry that he's going to carry out before he passes on. So remember that. But also think about the internal inconsistency with their request. And this is a good way to judge whether or not your motives are in the right place. Are you being internally consistent? Now, what do I mean by that? What is the request? The request is give us a king. Why? Because your sons don't follow in your footsteps. Now, looking back at Israel's history and just what has preceded, how had God raised up leaders up to this point? How did he raise up Samuel? Were Samuel's parents leaders in Israel? No. Were Joshua's parents leaders in Israel? No. Were Moses' parents leaders in Israel? No. So there's a very good probability that when Samuel does indeed pass on, it's not going to be his sons who are going to be the leaders. It's going to be some other new leader. That had been how God had worked. But they're asking for what? They're asking for a king. How is the leadership decided in a monarchy? My dad was king, so I get to be king. You see the inconsistency here? They're saying, give us a king because your sons are not going to be good leaders. Samuel had never asked his sons to be the leaders of all Israel. He'd set them up as judge down in Beersheba, but if you know anything about the the, the population and the distribution and so forth, Beersheba was this podunk little town that nobody cared about except for the fact that it, it was founded by Abraham Just time in history. It wasn't anything. Samuel seems to have known, okay, my, my my sons are not good. I'm going to put them down here where they can do as little damage as possible. <laughs> okay. So when Samuel died, undoubtedly God would have raised a new leader just as he had with Samuel and Joshua and And Moses and all these others, he calls them out as they were needed. But Israel's saying, no, give us an institution where we have absolutely no say in who the next leader is. Give us an institution where if the son of the father is horrible, we're stuck with him anyway. Let's do that. There's an internal inconsistency here. And so often I think that's part of our own prayers, our own request. We're asking God to replace something with the very thing we're battling against. Our motivations are off because our motivations are about our selfishness. I think another test of Motive is, am I asking God to turn me into something or to do something for me that's different than what He intends me to be? Am I asking for something or demanding something that's going to take me in a direction that's different than I know how God made me? what Israel's doing here we want to be a nation just like all the other nations and God has said you're my special possession you're a kingdom of priests all the earth is mine but I've made you distinct and different and special and Israel's like yeah whatever we want to be like them God has set them apart. God has established them as this this special nation. God has has built them into this entity that has the potential to transform the world. And they're saying, no, I'd really rather be like the, the Canaanites and the Philistines and others. Just too often in our own lives... I think we miss who God has made us and who God has called us because again our eyes are out there instead of seeing what God has indeed made us to be. We ask God to change this personality trait or that personality trait. And I'm not talking about sin here. I'm just talking about personality trait. God, I'm, I'm too quiet, make me make me more outgoing. Or God, I'm I'm too outgoing, make me a little bit more quieter. God, I'm, I'm too verbal. You know, I, I say things that I shouldn't this some, sometimes. Again, not sinful things, but I just, I just speak when maybe I should have been quiet. There are personality traits, and we ask God to change those things. No. God has made you that way for a reason. Instead of asking God to change those personality traits, ask him, God, how can you use my personality as it is To further your kingdom. How can you use my quietness? How can you use my outgoing nature? You made me this way for a reason. Help me to discover how to use it for your glory. Instead of constantly asking God to change us. We need to be praying about how God can use us. Because our desire for change, again, is usually not built upon a desire to honor God. It's built upon a lack of contentment, a lack of seeing what God is currently doing. And then we make a mistake. We ask the wrong way when we ask for relief or an answer with a wrong spirit. I think there's two spirits that two attitudes, two outlooks that kind of drive wrong ways of asking. One is cowardice. Israel is asking at least in part out of cowardice. How do I know that? Because there's nothing in their request that requires anything from them. There's not a single thing in their request that says, you know, this is this is how, this is going to make us better people. This is going to make us more honoring to you. And in fact, what does it say there in verse 20? They will be like all the other nations. Our king will judge us, go out before us, and fight our battles. Our king's going to fight our battles. If your request before God puts no requirement, no expectation, no demand on who you are and on your behavior coming out of that request, it's a request of, of the coward. You're asking for an easier situation. You're asking for a, a, a circumstance where less is required of you. You've been empowered by the Holy Spirit if you're a believer. You shouldn't be asking for less, you should be asking for more. What more can I do to bring honor to your name, God? And then the other type of spirit is the arrogant spirit. In many ways, we're right back here. We're right back in chapter 4 here in chapter 8. Remember chapter 4? Let's go get the Ark of the Covenant. It'll come among us that it may bring us victory. We're going to write the rules. We're going to define how this plays out. We're going to uh, set the timing. We're going to establish our own ways. And if you're setting in your prayer and your request, if you're setting all the parameters, that's a pretty good sign that you're driven more by arrogance than you are the attitudes and mindsets that we should be driven by. God is God. Notice Samuel's responses here. He's he's upset. That's clear. But what does he do with the request that's been made of him? He goes to the Lord. He asks the Lord for direction. And God does what? God reassures him of his current status. Samuel, you haven't done anything wrong that's leading to this. They're not rejecting you, they're rejecting me. And God says, the timing may not be what you want it to be, Samuel, but this is what we're going to do. And Samuel does what? Okay. We're going to go with your timing, God. You've told me to do it. We're going to go that way. He has taken his request to the Lord with the right motives, the right spirit, understanding who he is, and letting God set the timing. And God's going to honor and bless Samuel in the days ahead. No doubt there are several needs in this room. There are people who are struggling financially. There are people who are struggling emotionally, physically, spiritually. There are things that you need. And we need to be a people who are taking our needs to the Lord. Give us this day our daily bread. Jesus told us to pray that. Those are needs. We need to take those to the Lord. I'm not telling you to stop praying. I'm not even asking you to change what you're praying for. I'm asking you today, are you? praying, are you asking in the right way? And as we evaluate ourselves, as we evaluate our status and the timing and the motives of the Spirit, God may in fact lead us to change what we're praying for. But at the end of the day, it's not so much what we're praying for and do we get it or not, it's am I walking with the Lord in integrity? Do I understand his heart? Do I see myself through his lens rather than through the world's? Do I see his position through the lens of trusting him? knowing that he really does have our best interests at heart. What does Jesus say? If If your earthly father knows to give you good things, how much more does your heavenly father? God is good. And he has wonderful and amazing plans for each of us. That doesn't mean easy life. When I say that, I don't mean a life free of pain or sorrow or grief or any of that. We live in a fallen world. That's going to be the reality. But what I mean is a life that is walked with Him that allows us to see everything that we encounter through the appropriate lens, in the appropriate way. because he is with us. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we come this morning. God, we do ask that you help us to evaluate ourselves, God. Evaluate our hearts, our motives, our attitudes, our current status. Lord, help us to see things through the lens of your plan and your purpose for our lives. To not get so wrapped up in the the things where we think we ought to be or things that we think ought to be going on, but to to just rest in you, to find peace in you, comfort in you, contentment in you. Lord, help us to To be a people who are seeking your face and your desires and all we pursue. And if there is anything about our motives or our attitudes or way of asking, that's not in line with how you would have us ask, God, I pray. That you would help us to repent of that right now. To turn away from The world's ways of doing things and to see you the center of our life and our existence. God, I pray that if there's anyone here this morning who doesn't have a relationship with you, doesn't know what it means to experience the contentment, the life, the joy, the peace that you can offer, that you would draw them in this time. Even though this hasn't been a particularly evangelistic message, God, I pray that, that you can still speak to hearts and you all people to you. God, I pray that you use this time for your glory. In Christ's name.